Morning, Glory America. It is the last radio hour of the week. When I wrap things up, and I usually do it with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are available at hugh4hillsdale.com. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues that we have been conducting now in our fifth year, uh, as well as all of their online courses, the sign-up for Imprimus available at hillsdale.edu. And this weekly chat with Dr. Arn has grown in popularity over the years. I don't know why. Uh, we, we often meander and fail to cover that which we've said we will cover. But in the uh, meandering, there is fun. He's been abroad. He's been in England, uh, supping with famous actors and wandering around the maze that is London. But you're back in the States. I take it? I am. Welcome home. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I have sent you a copy of The Fourth Way. Have you received it yet? No. Oh, I sent it to the Kirby Center. Are you in in Michigan or are you in Kirby? I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. Well, that's not a good place to be. I mean, I've got nothing against Omaha, Nebraska, but why are you in Omaha, Nebraska? Well, because uh, some really great people have given us a whole lot of scholarships. A whole lot of scholarships for people who are in Nebraska, and the only people that can get any only college can get anybody to leave Nebraska is Hillsdale College. And every January we have a dinner, and all the Nebraska kids have dinner with the people who gave the scholarship. Well, that's wonderful. So you have a it's lot very of sweet. No, you know, getting Nebraskans. I had a uh, a research assistant from Nebraska once who helped me with the radio show, and he wore his Huskers stuff all day long. Do they wear their Huskers stuff around Hillsdale, even though they're in Michigan? You know, we make them stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Doctor, let's get to the important stuff. Uh, first of all, how is uh, Gary Oldham as Churchill? Did you watch any of the filming of that? I did. I spent uh, I had dinner with him and uh, with Doug Urbanski, who's a producer and a friend of Gary Oldman's longtime partner, uh, you know, colleague. Uh, and uh, then the next day we watched some film all day. And he, I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to talk about this, so we'll go ahead. But uh, he looks more like Winston Churchill than anybody I've ever seen play him. Really? Partly because he's made up for three hours every morning. Uh, Gary Oldman is a very committed actor, you know, and uh, and then he's it, it, it's uh, I saw several clips and I watched some film all day, and I had my two of my children and my wife with me. It was a lot of fun, and uh, they were very nervous because they want to get it right, and it seemed to matter to them a lot what I thought. Well, well, that you are a Churchill biographer, you are part of the Martin Gilbert team, you know of which you speak, if they get anything wrong, you're going to call them on it like you do to me repeatedly, and so... I was nicer to them. <laughs> well, that's not hard. That's a very low bar. And so the, yeah. the, the, the question becomes, what did you think of the, the substance of the film? Well, they, uh, so he's playing a Churchill that's different than they're almost always play, because... Churchill is famous for those great speeches, and uh, when in conversation, Churchill was lightning quick, and Churchill was athletic. Uh, Churchill moved quickly, and so mostly they played this ponderous guy, you know, but Churchill was fun, and he had a sparkle, and he was very fast in conversation, and Gary Oldman is playing him like that, and I asked him, I said, uh, why... Are you playing like he's fast? And he said, wasn't he? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, he was, but he's never played that way. He said, yeah, 
he seems so full of life to me. And I said, good for you. So I think it's going to be great. Do we have any uh, idea when it's coming out? Yeah, we're going to, I'm going to, guess I'm going to get to see it early. And I'm going to review it. Uh, and I, I love these guys so much. And I was so touched by seeing them. But if I don't like it, you'll find out because I don't write a review. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that's very now that also leads into what I wanted to talk to you about uh, heads of government and intelligence services. While you were away, we have had a long running drama. I do not know how much of it has made its way into the British press of Donald Trump um, casting aspersions on the outgoing leadership of the Intelligence Committee, John Brennan at CIA, James Clapper at the DNI, and generally doubting the certainty with which they have proclaimed Russia as the bad guy in the hacking. I'm persuaded of that because our friend Tom Cotton is persuaded of that, and he's on Senate Intel. Nevertheless, <clears throat> I've taken the position that Donald Trump is right to wait and get his own guys in. Mike Pompeo at, at CIA and, and now Dan Coats, who I do not know, but I've heard great things about it. DNI and James Mattis at Defense and General Kelly at Homeland Security. And then hear what they have to say about Intel, because there is a traditionally fraught relationship between administrations. This one has a lot to defend, and they might not be in a hurry to tell you they might be in a hurry to actually divert your attention from that which they don't want you to see. Do you, do you follow my reasoning? I do. And uh, so I have followed this. And, you know, I happen to know that Senator Cotton and former Congressman Pompeo are big buddies. And, uh, you know, both military guys and very alike. I have the privilege of knowing them both. And so, uh, so think of Cotton's position, which I think he's been masterful about. Um, this is very odd, right, because uh, the charge is that the election is illegitimate on several grounds. And the grounds are that uh, Hillary won the popular vote. And by the way, all of these grounds contradict each other. Hillary won the popular vote. There was a lot of fake news. Trump is unknown and has fooled the whole country. And the Russians have stole the election because they wanted to get Trump elected president of the United States. And the intelligence services, gracious sakes, are confirming that. And Mr. Clapper said something yesterday that I think is even improper. I, I think these guys work for the president of the United States. They should be they should be they should keep themselves out of politics. And so in the hearings yesterday, Mr. Clapper went there to defend the agency. And what he should have done was eschewed any question about, you know, is Mr. Trump wrong? Is Mr. Obama wrong? He should have just said, this is what we think and why we think it. But instead, he sort of said, well, there's a line between, what was it, skepticism or healthy cynicism and demeaning. Mr. Trump has demeaned us. Well, what what is Donald Trump going to say? Yes, I believe it. The Russians stole the election for me. And, and uh, so that, you see, so if you look at Tom Cotton's position, Tom's Cotton position is, I've seen the intelligence. They did uh, interfere. They did hack, and they hacked the Democrats. They did. 
But then he says, there's no evidence at all that they altered the outcome of the election. And, you know, for one thing, Senator Cotton understands that people are not stupid. And so they, they you know, we, we now think they're stupid because they voted for Trump and not Hillary Clinton. But just because somebody plants some news story and just because, you know, people are making up their minds about how to vote in a whole lot of different ways. And this was a very dramatic election. So I, I didn't, I, I'm a little critical of the intelligence community right now because I think they would do themselves and us a lot better service if they would steer 10 miles clear of any politics including any criticism of Obama. You see, and I, I don't like to do I have great respect for intelligence professionals. Mike Morrell, uh, the former deputy director who got caught up in the Benghazi meltdown, wrote a great book called The Great War of Our Time, which I've recommended to many people. But I don't like uh, second-guessing what has happened here. And especially, but I have to remind people, President-elect Trump has reminded them of WMD. Even more recently, the National Intelligence Estimate on Iran's nuclear program of 2007, which at the time tied George W. Bush's hands because it came to the conclusion that Iran had abandoned its nuclear program, was 100 percent wrong. So there are reasons why you have to take all intelligence products very carefully and assess them. And there's reasons why you would want to wait for your team to come in. That's what. And at the same time, Paul Ryan said yesterday, I don't know if you heard this, uh, Larry Arn. He said the Russians didn't make Hillary not go to Michigan and Wisconsin. The Russians didn't install a server in her basement. The Russians did not do all these things. She lost that election. Donald Trump won that election. And this is a sideshow about which we will talk more because getting the relationship between the head of government and the intelligence agencies right is so important. And on this, we will look to Churchill and Lincoln, as we often do with Dr. Larry Arn. Everything Hillsdale is available at Hillsdale.edu. You ought to be signed up for Imprimus. Make it your New Year's resolution. You can do it during the break and listen to all of the Hillsdale Dialogues, which resume next week with The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. Go out and get that and get ahead of us. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America, to Hewitt. Good Friday to you. Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, is my guest, as he is each week at this time, as we usually do a Hillsdale dialogue discussing one of the great works of the West. All of those collected at Hugh for Hillsdale.com for your binge listening pleasure. Today, however, we're talking about the transition and about the nature of the head of government and the intelligence services. Uh, Larry Arndt, in yesterday's Washington Post, I had a column, What If Donald Trump is Playing the Russians the Way That He Played the American Media? And yesterday with Ted Cruz, I had a conversation which is uh, reproduced at length, and it's got a very funny anecdote in it about Judge Ludig, Chief Justice Roberts, and Justice Scalia, so I would recommend it to you, uh, and in which he talked about the cabinet being the most conservative cabinet ever because of the Reid rule. It only takes 51 votes to confirm a cabinet member, and therefore we're getting Scott Pruitt and Andy Puzner and a lot of great conservatives. And I point out that, you know, Trump is outplayed everyone. Why don't we think he can handle intelligence? What's your response to both of those points? So I know, what do I know? I know four people in the cabinet, and I just think they're awesome. I mean, I'm I'm astonished at their appointment. And I have some detailed accounts of three of them, uh, plus Tom Cotton getting interviewed in the Trump Tower. And they all say the same thing. This guy is 
really skillful, also very business-oriented. And he, his questions were all about, what do you think we should do, and how are you going to do it? It's very, you know, very like that. And I know that there's a famous woman politician who didn't get the job because she didn't have a really great plan for doing a dramatic and amazing thing that Trump is planning to do. And he wants this thing done. And it's unbelievable. I can't. I guess I can't say what it is, but it's unbelievable that this is about to happen. So, first of all, there's that. But then, the foreign policy team, especially in the defense area, I don't know the guy from the Secretary of State, but it's a very hardcore bunch of people, and they're not patsies at all. Uh, Pompeo is going to run the CIA, and he's Tom Cotton's friend, and he's a military man, and he's a strong congressman. And he and Tom Cotton broke the news about the Iran deal that there was no monitoring scheme in place, even months after they signed the deal. So that's that guy, right? But Mike Flynn and General Mad Dog Mattis, and now it looks like Dan Coates, isn't it, for Director of National Intelligence, the job that Clapper has? So these guys are tough people. And he's appointing that team, and he he seems to know, from what I hear, but it is sense to he would know this, too, you, you appoint people to help you and manage for a reason, you need them. And so you want people who can really do it, and that means give them their heads a lot. And so I don't think what's going on here is that Donald Trump has a secret plot to reward Vladimir Putin. I don't think that's plausible. And uh, and so I think, you know, and another thing about Donald Trump seems to be this. I don't know Donald Trump very well, but uh, um, he, I, I said this once in a debate with somebody about Trump. Uh, if you, if you grow up in Arkansas and you're around hunting dogs, you know that when they're puppies, they're two kinds. And one kind, if they hear a loud noise, they shy away. And the other kind is, if they hear a loud noise, they turn toward it. Donald Trump is that second kind. And that means if somebody's attacking him, he attacks them back. And so all this talk that the election is doubtful, right? And the Electoral College, I left that out in my list, right? And the Electoral College is a terrible thing, and it's thwarted the will of the people. Did you just go into a, a swimming pool? Did you move somewhere? Are you walking around a hotel room? No. No. Okay. Am I hard to hear? You were for a moment there. Okay. Back on the Electoral College. Yeah. So so Trump is, and, you know, he, he did disparage the intelligence community. I don't think it should have responded. But uh, I don't think Clapper should have done that. But uh, I think it should stand up and tell the truth to Congress, which apparently they did yesterday. When we come back, we're going to talk about what a head of state and head of government should say about what they are being told in secret. And we're going to look at what Churchill did as a guide for that. Don't go anywhere, America. 
You might want to read Josh Rogan's piece at the Washington Post. There is tension between James Mattis and Donald Trump, as one would expect between two strong-willed individuals. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America 2 Hill, with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, talking all things transition and intelligence. Dr. Arn, there's a story by Josh Rogan in the Washington Post that says Jim Mattis, the general and secretary-designate of defense, is fighting with the president-elect over who will be the heads of the service agencies, who will be his number two. Uh, Mattis is very picky. Trump wants his people. What was Churchill's rule about undersecretaries and deputy ministers and all that sort of thing? Uh, uh, Well, I'll answer that two ways. Uh, One was, uh, it depended. Um, There's a very notable example where he had a fight with a guy he really needed forming his 1940 crisis cabinet. Uh, Ernest Bevan was a socialist and a hard-fighting dock worker guy and an anti-communist. And Churchill really needed that guy in his cabinet. But Bevan wanted to pick all his own people. And Churchill wrote him a letter, and he wanted his cousin uh, to be one of his functionaries. And he said, in this crisis, I must have people in all of the key areas whom I know and trust. And uh, Bevan compromised. He got mostly his own people, and uh, and Churchill got his people. Uh, there's a good rule that I learned of from my friend Ed Fulner, who's the head of the domestic policy part of the transition team. And he said that it's been the rule in previous administrations that people have mutual, that the president and the cabinet officer have mutual vetoes, uh, that, that, you know, they piece it together out of who they know and, uh, and who they want, and they both have to agree. And that looks like a good rule to me. Uh, so if they're quarreling, and I, I, you know, I, I know this from Tom Price and Jeff Sessions and Tom Cotton, I know that uh, they were all told that they would get a very wide latitude to pick who they wanted and that the, the White House would be involved. That seems like the right way to do it to me. All right, now let's go to the intelligence community specifically. Um, he's picked Mike Pompeo, great guy, to be the head of the CIA. Dan Coates, who I do not know, but I'm told is a good guy, to be the DNI, Mattis, and Flynn. These are the Mattis, Flynn, and Kelly. These are the big five when it comes to intelligence. The secretaries of DHS, Secretary of Defense, uh, head of DNI, the head of the CIA, and the head of your National Security Council. How did Churchill deal with secret matters, and how often did he talk about them? Well, that's uh, an extremely important and famous story because they had a source. They were they were able to decode increasingly over the course of the war German uh, communications because the Germans were very German, right? Very had to have a perfect way, and it had to be uniform. And so they invented these Enigma machines that looked like typewriters. And you couldn't, you couldn't decode anything without one of those machines. You had to know some other stuff, too, to decode anything. But if you, you needed the machine, and the machine was very hard to re-engineer. And they got their mitts on a couple. And then what happened was, um, at Bletchley Park, a place outside London, sleepy little village, you can go visit it, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and this is a little village, right? And there's this house that nobody knows what it is. It's been out there on the edge of town for a long time. And the next thing you know, and this happened in months, not years, 
they were more than 20,000 people huh. working out there. <laughs> and so the neighbors noticed more activity. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, they were decoding the Russian military transcripts, and it was the most important thing that the, the Russian, the German military transcripts, that the Germans not know it. And so the man who ran it was a guy named Mingis, and he was known as C. And uh, this thing was called Boniface, uh, and, uh, which is a good name if you think about it for a minute. And there were seven people who knew about this, and nobody ever spoke of it. And Churchill kept the key to the box that it came in every day in his own pocket all the time. And that means that people in the office and most of the members of the cabinet did not know about this thing. And uh, it happened that in the Middle East, uh, in, when they, they were, in 1943, the Allies won their first par- uh, parts of the war uh, in the Middle East, in North Africa, fighting Rommel. And they learned over time that Rommel was running out of gas and to, run, to drive his tanks. And he was running out of troops and ammunition. And Churchill traveled to the Middle East to tell two different generals that he knew this for sure and how he knew it, but he wouldn't send them a cable about it. So, and Churchill said famously, because he always had the greatest phrase in the world for whatever happened, in war, truth must always be guarded, accompanied by a bodyguard of lies. And uh, he was a big believer in spying and intelligence and in fooling the enemy, and he guarded it really closely. Um, and so, I don't know if Trump's going to, maybe Trump's going to tweet out all the secrets. Who knows? I doubt it. But uh, if he does, that'll be really bad. Do you think he has the capacity? I raised the question in the Washington Post yesterday. Didn't answer it. Just that, does he have the capacity to head fake Vladimir Putin. In other words, could all of this conversation that is ongoing about Putin be a head fake? Or is, does he also have the capacity to think strategically about doing a reverse Nixon to China? The stronger of the two uh, uh, competitors in the superpower category now is China. When Nixon went to China in 72, it was the weaker. And so he aligned himself with the weaker of the two rivals and thereby improved our strategic position. Is it possible Trump is thinking along those lines? Is it possible that he has a head fake or is it all just Trump being Trump in your view? Uh, well, I do very much think it's Trump being Trump, but I wouldn't say just. I mean, first of all, Trump has head faked the whole flipping country, right? Yep, so, that was my point. So, yep. Isn't that, isn't that <laughs> odd? Uh, but I, I think that uh, there's a, uh, here's what we can know so far. And one thing we can't know is we can't really know what he's going to do or how good he's going to be. I just believe that, and I believed it for months, that the signs are good. But here's the thing you need, right? The military of the United States has not been properly maintained. And diplomacy starts with military power. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. And so the foundation is that. And Trump says he's going to cut the government and cut the deficit and all that. And he also says he's going to build up the military. And it's going to be the best in the world. 
And those five guys that you named earlier, those are all guys that want to do that. And that's the team. And Paul Ryan, uh, our mutual friend, was on the program two days ago, and he stunned me. There are $2 trillion in American profits stuck abroad that will not be repatriated because our corporate tax rate is around 30%. And they're just not going to give 30% to the government because they don't have to do that. And Paul Ryan is going to propose a repatriation window where the average rate is going to be about 5.5%. Stunningly low. I was expecting 10%. That will generate between 200 and $300 billion, according to the Speaker, which will pay for a lot of boats. It will pay for a fence. It will pay for a lot of infrastructure. It's brilliant if they do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I mean, uh, those the Obama administration... I mean, you know, some things about that administration were deplorable. And he, 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 uh, he, these, these tech guys who have a lot of this money abroad, they came to him. And, you know, they were, all, they were his greatest supporters, right? They just fawned on him. And they came to him and begged him to do something about this, and he wouldn't do it. And, uh, and you know, he had the Congress for a while. So that's a, it is a brilliant plan. And if we start... Repairing the military so that it's like you, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to make Vladimir Putin and and the, and China and their leadership, Mr. Z, you've got to make them afraid. You've got to make them worried, nervous, because they're playing that game. And look at what Trump did. So in the South China Sea, uh, China is claiming very wide boundaries, right? 300 mile or whatever it is and they're taking a rock a coral reef and they're building it into a military base and their signs are going to do another one yep and they're and they're trying to deny us access to the south china sea and their diplomacy is all made to make their neighbors cower and also offer them inducements with a plain purpose also the weapons they're building have this purpose to deny the United States Navy and Air Force access to the Pacific. And so what does Trump do but take a phone call from the president of Taiwan? And that's just brilliant, in my opinion, and the stories are that it was carefully prepared. And that's, and see, China has enormous advantages. They have population, they have growth, they have proximity to most of the people in the world. Right, and we're off here by ourselves, right? It's our advantage, but also disadvantage. Well, another really great advantage that we have is that in the Pacific, they hate and fear China. And so those people in Taiwan do not want to be ruled by those guys in the mainland, because for one thing, they see that you can get arrested in the middle of the night, and they see that. Apple computer is recently last week compelled to disable its app for the New York Times in China because they I mean God I don't like the New York Times although I read it but it's too freedom for China right and so there's an advantage for us there and Trump just took a phone call and it just shook up the whole world. Yeah. And that's really cheap, you know? It didn't cost anything. It cost, I think the <laughs> lady from Taiwan paid, right, for, the paid, paid for the call. But, but then he does this this morning, Dr. Arn, 
Wow. The ratings are in and Arnold Schwarzenegger got swamped or destroyed by comparison to the ratings machine DJT. So much for being a movie star. And that was season one compared to season 14. Now compare him to my season one. But who cares? He supported Kasich and Hillary. What do you make? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Donald Trump is... Like, uh, Donald Trump is not Winston Churchill, nobody is, but Winston Churchill did have a gift for the indiscreet. <laughs> Come back on that thought. Stay stay tuned on that. A Churchill-Trump comparison to end your week, America. Uh, <laughs> a taste for the indiscreet. Stay with us. Welcome back, America. It's you. You are talking with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, about uh, President-elect Donald Trump and his approach, uh, indiscretion. His tweets this morning about the ratings for Arnold are very Trumpian. Uh, and you were about to say that Winston Churchill was also given to idiosyncratic flights of fancy. Uh, you are the last person to compare anyone to Churchill. But I think you were planning on saying, get used to it. People don't change. <laughs> Well, Churchill was uh, not, they're alike in this. I mean, Churchill was a genius, and we don't know if Donald Trump is a genius, but, and and he is not. Churchill wrote 50 books, and they're worth reading, and Donald Trump hasn't written that many. But, um, and Churchill saved the world, and Donald Trump hasn't done that yet. So anyway, those are differences. But they were very firm people, and they were also, I mean, Winston Churchill was a very confident man. And he could be witty in very tense and terrible situations. And his sense of humor was legendary, and it got him into trouble, but it also sustained him. And uh, Trump is like that, you know. Uh, I sometimes thought that our friends in the conservative movement and in the Republican Party uh, were not interested enough in politics, (laughs) because what I thought having read about politics, I guess, all my life was, if some guy's getting 20,000 people coming to his events, wow, what's that about? Yes. You know, we should look for a way to get that on our side, huh? Yes. And Trump does that, and it's because he's, one reason is he's so bold and he's so funny. So, so of, yeah. these, of these conversations you've hinted at, do you expect a rollicking first 100 days? I do. I think it's just, it's just, uh, army for business. It, it's just that. It's just, uh, as far as I can tell, and everything that I hear about it is, they're getting ready to do a bunch of dramatic stuff. And tr- Trump has a taste for, uh, has a gift, I think, for getting things done right away and cheaply. And, of course, a lot of things, like building up the military, that's going to cost a lot of money, and for a long time. And just right now, the political temper of the country is, we're, not, we're you know, that's okay. That's what we're going to do. You know, when Reagan came in, there was brawls about the tax cut and about the defense budget, with the Soviet Union staring us down. With the, in, in 1976... Leonid Brezhnev in Berlin gave a speech and said that the correlation of forces has changed and we're going to dominate the world. And then he paused in the speech and MiGs flew over a violation of the Berlin Treaty. And so we weren't doing anything about that. And in that atmosphere, Reagan winning the election by a lot, more than Trump won by, uh, 
saying he's going to build up defense, there was a terrible brawl about that. But, you know, Trump's got the Congress. And I think that he's going to get a lot of these things done. And, and he's got to do it. Now, there is a story in Politico that the House Republicans are slow walking his infrastructure plan. Uh, in my new book, I said, that's a mistake. They ought to give him one tenth of what Obama got, which would be eighty three billion dollars. He'll do a hundred times what Obama did with one tenth of the money. If you do it the right way, if you let local people pick the projects on which to spend it. They will do so if you let local congressmen control the money, not bureaucrats. I think he is going to be an enemy of the bureaucracy, Larry Arn, and I love that. Oh yeah, I mean he's he he uh, you know he's got a real sense of value for money. So you know you you are the you you invented the best term for this that I've ever heard, and that is Trump tattoos. Yes, right. So Boeing is building a plane that's going to cost a lot. Is it Boeing that's building it? Yep. And oh, the Air Force One, right? They got and a Trump tattoo. Yep. They got a Trump tattoo, and everybody gets them all the time. I mean, I you know, I like Trump, and I endorse Trump, and I stood by him during the Hollywood thing, tape thing, and all that, right? But... I, I'm waiting for my Trump tattoo someday. <laughs> and I also have a new term, tangible Trump trophies, T3s. I want. I think he will want to build some tangible Trump trophies, T3s, all over the country. And you know what? That'll be good for him and good for the country if we build things. Yeah. He, and he, he uh, you know, I'm hoping that they're going to do toll roads. And, you know, those are annoying to people. But if they're electronic, they don't take any time. And what they and what they have the promise of doing, especially if they're private, is uh, they have the promise of keeping the revenues associated with the expenses in transportation. And it just so happens Hugh Hewitt and I know a lot about this because we used to fight the development wars in Southern California trying to protect people's property rights. But what they were doing is they won't build any roads, and they take all the money that used to go for the roads, and they spend it on themselves, yep. the government, right? And on studies. And so, on studies. And so it's, yeah, yeah, lots of studies. And so the truth is, we should get modern here about transportation. The cities should work. And Trump likes things like that. So I would be surprised if he doesn't think of some really innovative things to do. More on this next week and the beginning of our conversation about the abolition of man by C.S. Lewis, our next great work on the Hilltale Dialogue. Dr. Larion, welcome back to the United States. Welcome to 2017 America. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back Monday. Thank you, Adam and Dwayne. Thank you, Jake and Ben. Thank you, Danielle. And all of you are listening to The Hugh Hewitt Show. <laughs> 